hits. A little more than an hour away from first pitch at the Rogers Center as the Jays take on the Boston Red Sox. The first of three games between the third-place team in the AL East and the team that's tied for last in the AL East. And um, it'll be Jose Barrios on the mound against Brian Bayo. It is Roberto Clemente Day uh, throughout Major League Baseball. And, uh, of course, Jose Barrios, I believe he's wearing uniform number 21 tonight to uh, to honor uh, to honor Roberto Clemente, a number of players will be in that. Players are given the freedom to do that if they want on this particular day. Quite frankly, uh, I've said this before, and uh, quite frankly, that number should be retired throughout baseball to begin with. That's just me getting on my soapbox a little bit. But in the meantime, uh, it's a special night for uh, Jose Barrios, and uh, he sat down with Hazel May uh, a couple of days ago to talk about it, and we're going to play that interview for you. Um, after we talk to the man who is the field manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, friend of the show, John Schneider. Very pleased to be joined by the manager of the Toronto Blue Jays, John Schneider. John, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, all right. Texas is gone. Boston's coming, coming into town. New series. How do you reset after what happened in the past four games? Uh, you have you have to. There's no other choice but to do just that. Um, obviously, not our best series versus Texas. I think they outplayed us in in all, if not most phases. Um, and you have to, you know, you have to move on. Every game is going to be tough. We got our you know division opponents coming up, and you have to move on. You have to focus on Boston for three and kind of go from there. So. Guys have uh, been well aware of that, and I think um, you know seeing a different team across the field would be a good thing tonight. John, yeah, you know, I, I stunk a lot. I, I I held my head a lot, really low. <laughs> it was you know I was trying so hard to do things off the field that when I got on the field, it was just I'd forgotten how to see ball hit ball. Whenever you're seeing your team going through a little bit of this, I mean, they've been going through it all year, but sort of quite not like this what's your role like yours and you know the hitting coaches and all the coaches and everybody that's around the guys that play most of the time what's your guys role in this I mean I think mine and everyone between you know G Hudgy Pete Donnie you know you have to be positive and you have to focus on the task at hand so the way we're thinking about it is it's a 15 game season right that's that's all you can do right now you can't you can't look back at a at a crappy series and you can't look back at an inconsistent year. You got 15 games to go for it and see where you end up, you know? So I think being as positive as you can, but at the same time, recognizing that there do need to be adjustments made um, is the biggest thing. Uh, this pitching staff, as you well know, has, has carried the team for most of the season. Uh, John, how concerned are you that we've been seeing the effects of, of the big workload? I don't think so. I mean, these, them, the, everyone in the rotation, they've been through it. You know, they've been through a full year, a taxing year. And you look at what they've done, their whole body of work over the course of the year and being in a four-man rotation at times, these guys have answered the bell. You know, and I think when you look at the last four games, it was, you know, some inconsistent starts from Chris and Kev. Uh, Texas really made them work from one through nine. And that I think that takes a toll more so than the overall workload of the year. You know, I think just the actual 20 pitch innings, you know, the, the constant grind of the at-bats, that takes their toll on them. And 
pitchers, no matter who you are, uh, you're going to make more mistakes the more pitches you have to throw. So I think that's kind of what we ran into, but not concerned about what they're doing going forward. John, what have you learned or what are you learning about yourself uh, down the stretch here as a manager? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you look back to a, a rough stretch in May, um, and, you know, kind of going through that for the first time and kind of going through it right now and how you can – how you can approach different things uh, a little bit differently. You know, I think these guys, you know, having veteran guys in the clubhouse helps. But I think what I've learned about myself is no matter where you are in the season, in the standings, you have to be consistent, right? So you have to be positive. You have to be consistent. But at the same time, you need to know when to say, all right, this needs to change. This needs to be better. For me, it's more so, you know, players are out there performing, right? We try to put them in the best positions to succeed. If it's little things that are controllable, whether it's a bump play or whether it's in the cutoff man or things like that, like those are the things you got to really, you know, harp on and nail on, you know, every, every single day. But I think going through a very inconsistent year has taught me uh, patience, has taught me a little bit more empathy about how hard the game is. And you have to be the same person every day. John, you know Bo and Vladdy better than better than most. Um, you've seen them when they were younger. I, I imagine there were probably some some lows uh, at, at some point there. Uh, you know, when you hear them being booed by the fans, and I don't, I'm not getting on the fans for this, but that's gotta that's gotta kind of cut you to the quick as well, doesn't it? Because because you know these kids. Yeah, I mean, especially these guys. I mean, they're the biggest part of what we have been doing and what we're trying to do, you know, and they, they go out and they, they give it their all every single day. And I think there's times where there's been, you know, unfair expectations put on those guys. And when you look at their body of work as big leaguers, it's better than most. So we understand the fans frustration, but at the same time, we don't want Bo or Vlad or any individual to think that they have to put the team and, and carry them on the back. You know, it has to be, a collective effort from everybody that's in the clubhouse. So if I, I wish people knew what the kind of workers and teammates they were and how much they care, you know, it's um, again, you get the fan frustration, but at the same time, um, they're also the guys that are the most celebrated players on our team. So it, um, it's a very fine line for sure. Uh, how much has the lack of consistent protection behind Vladdy? Do you think John has affected him? It probably has at times this year. I think, you know, um, Vlad is, you know, such a talented hitter to where it, to me, it doesn't really matter who's around him when he's going good. You know, it doesn't really matter who's around him. Um, basically how he's going to be pitched, you know, he's going to be pitched a certain way, no matter if I'm been hitting behind him or Davis Schneider or, or Matt Chapman or Brandon Belton, you know, he's going to be pitched a certain way. So, that's why I feel like it can't just be him. It can't just be Bo. You know, the message has been be what you guys are. Do what makes you great. And then if it's not you that gets the big hit, it needs to be somebody behind you. So I think if everyone kind of has that same mentality, it's a it's definitely a contagious effect up and down the line. John, whenever you see, like last night, Vladdy swinging through some fastballs, no matter how hard it's being thrown, uh, what's that tell you about him? What What, what, what would you say – to him when he walks by or, or after the game about what you thought about either his swing, his mental mindset. What, what do you, what are you thinking when you see him swinging through fastballs like that? 
that he misses pitches. You know, people don't see the work that he's been putting in the last couple of weeks, um, exactly what his thought process is there. You know, if you look at that particular at bat in the seventh inning against Clerk, and he's pretty much 60%, you know, slider pitcher to righties. You know, I think he threw Vladdy one of them. So that's the constant cat and mouse game of a plan that you may have against a certain guy and then what you actually get. So, you know, it's uh, he misses pitches to hit, but at the same time, there's been times where he hits that ball to the second deck, you know, and I think just the inconsistencies of the timing get gets highlighted, but it's, uh, you know, that's kind of been, you know, it's not just Vlad. You know, there's, there's a lot of guys that have, you know, missed pitches to hit. I think what we saw in the Texas series was, you know, when we did make a mistake, they did not miss it. I think their pitchers made some mistakes, and we either fouled them off or swung through them, and that's, that's the difference in the game right now. Hey, Trevor Richards has been nails pretty much all year for you. Um, Lately, it hasn't gone as smoothly. You know, is this a lingering issue from the neck or uh, from from the neck issue? Or, uh, you know, I mean, is it just all all, all those innings, all those pitches, that leverage catching up to him? No, I think it's just kind of a rough patch for Trev. You know what I mean? He's been arguably one of the best relievers, not just in our pen, but in, in baseball. When you look at the number of hitters struck out with the number of innings he's thrown, I think I said that last night after the game, but there's certain parts of the game to where, you know, you're counting on guys to have clean innings. You know, you're counting on Trev to finish that inning and not get Jimmy in there and not have Bowden pitch, you know, the following inning. and It didn't work out, but there's only, you know, there's so many options with availability that you have every night and you're trying to put guys in the right spot depending on score. And I think just, you know, I've said playing in sync a lot, you know, you want to be at the point to where, you know, you score two in the first and you, you have to add on, you know, and that changes how you deploy your bullpen. But I think for, for Trev, you know, he's been so good and just, you know, kind of the pecking order in which we have in the bullpen, you know, you're counting on him to do what he's done for the majority of the year. Uh, John, with Jordan Hicks, what what kind of scenarios do you think here down the stre- stretch with two weeks left? Do you think you'll throw him in? I mean, it, it's not ideal to have him pitch down by seven or whatever it was the other night. Mm-hmm. Um, we want to put him in in big spots, and we want to you know try to use him as much as we can without jeopardizing his availability for the next day. I think they're all at the point in the bullpen right now where three days in a row is, is a uh, not issue. But, you know, again, I think the the game state will dictate when these guys are being put in. You know, um, we ran into it early in the year where you're throwing leverage dudes, you know, down by two or three waiting waiting for us to catch up and it hasn't happened. I think that's been part of the, the workload when you look at early in the year, middle of the year, and we've tried to kind of back off that a little bit. So, you know, if the game situation dictates takes you to be in there, you know, if it's a close game, he's going to be in there. John, listen, we appreciate you joining us uh, as always. Uh, we appreciate your candor. I know it's not the uh, easiest time, but, uh, you know, say the same thing I tell you every time you come on here. Go get him. Yeah. Good luck, Thank John. You. I appreciate it, guys. Yeah, hey, it's, it's uh, as, as funny as it sounds, there's still baseball left. You know what I mean? And that's, <laughs> yeah. that's how this entire group is, is thinking, going at each and every night. Thanks, John. Be that's well. Awesome. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. All right. Now, seldom have we had an interview with the skipper where Barker takes off his earphone and goes ballistic about something. Which you did when we were when you were taping that. So I'm just going to turn it over to you because it was. I mean, you were. You heard something you didn't like. I'm just going to put it that way, and I'm going to let you have well, that. It's, it. it's not. It's not that I don't like it because uh, 
we we've tried to we've tried to everybody's tried to figure out they've tried to figure out what's going on, Vladdy, because you know if they could somewhat get him going, it would help out a ton. And then he started talking because I asked him that purpose. When's the last time you've seen now Vladdy's had an up and down season, but when realistically is the last time you've seen him take three big daddy hacks on three fastballs that caught a bunch of the plate and missed all three of them. That is rare. Like, normally you'll see him miss one, and then he'll chase a slider that's three feet off the plate, right? And then you hear John, when I ask that question, say that the pitcher throws a slider 60-40% of the time. So 60% of the time he'll throw a slider to a righty, and 40% of the time he'll throw a fastball. So basically, because... John made it a point to mention that he only threw him one slider, and you yeah. could tell the way he took it that he was looking for it. But the very first time you heard after he swung through the very, the OO fastball that was center cut right down the middle, Buck Martinez said, oh, look, he's late, and he's underneath the baseball. And then you hear John here say that it's 60-40, right? So basically what John is telling you is, his plan was, I'm going up because this dude throws the slider 60% of the time to a right-handed hitter. He's going to look for the slider. The hole at bat. The hole at bat. There's a problem with that, though, because what are opponents hitting off the slider? Point ninety six or something. Nobody can hit that thing. So you're looking for a pitch that nobody, nobody can hit. That nobody can hit. But the point is, all season... The game plan for Vladdy, John just mentioned it here. This is why, for me, he's struggling. Is It's very erratic. You could tell he's sitting slider, but he swings at three fastballs that are in the... So it's basically like when I walk to the plate and I'm sitting spin, and I don't see spin out of the hand, but I see a fastball that's right down the middle. Well, I think I can hit a fastball right down the middle, and then I can't because I'm late. And then the catcher sees that, and the pitcher sees that. So what do you think? You're going to get another. You're going to get another one, right? But he's sitting slider again, and then it's down the middle, and he's late on it again. That's the whole thing. That's why everybody talks about that mental approach that's sort of not caught up with Vladdy. That if you're buying into an approach, sell out on it. If I'm sitting slider, which is the dumbest thing, because nobody can hit it. I don't know why you think you can hit it. Well, that's what I was saying. You're, so you're, you're, you're sitting on a pitch that nobody's are, been able to but hit. But it's obvious you're looking for it. Right. So why swing at the fastball? Like, until you get to two. Vladdy doesn't have a two-strike approach. His two-strike approach is he's thinking right center. Instead of left center, before two strikes, when he gets two strikes, he's thinking right center. Like, he just wants to try and let the ball travel a little bit more. He's not changing any mechanical thing to shorten up or not choking up on the bat. He's doing doing none of that. So, until you get to two strikes, if you're looking at for something, whether I think it's silly or not, why are you swinging at something else is the point. It makes – it's like – Whatever they're saying to him, and when he walks to the on-deck circle and then he walks to the plate, it's like three different things is happening here. It's John like, just mentioned it. Like, he just said it. As soon as it came out of his mouth, I started – Why? I saw how he took the slider. Like, yeah. he was looking for it. He saw spin. He saw it was off the plate. He took it like he knew it was coming yeah. because he's looking for it. 
But you could tell he was late and under the fastball because he wasn't looking for it. Not too many humans at the big league level can hit 97 no matter where it's at if they're not looking for it. That's why he was late. That's the point, right? So here, here's you're not the thing. looking yeah. for it. Why are you swinging at it? Well, so here's the thing. He has a plan. Someone has given him a plan. Yeah. Whoever the, that is is not real smart about it. The plan. Nobody else can hit it. The plan is basically go up and try to hit a pitch that nobody has been able to hit this year. You could tell which that's makes, the plan. Which just makes no, which, which yeah. makes no sense. Yeah. But that's the plan. That's his plan. Vladdy goes to the plate and sees that pitch. And let's it go. No, 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 just, no, no, no. Just o- let me. Let me. O-O was the fastball. So he walks to the plate. He's looking for slider. Right. But he sees fastball and it's down the middle. And he's right. saying, well, if I just swing at it, I can hit it. But he's late because he's not looking he's for not it. He's not looking for it. He, right. Because what do you want to do to a secondary pitch? You want to let it travel because you want to make sure that it's a strike, right? So you're going to hit that thing a little deeper because you're thinking right center because you don't want to chase it all in the count but, and get yourself yeah, out. And, and the, so it's like two wrongs are not making a right, right here. The bottom it's, line is I'm going up looking for a slider, which I can't hit anyhow, which nobody can hit. Well, nobody here, can hit his. Yeah. He hit the home run was a right, slider but I'm saying nobody can hit Leclerc's slider. They, they haven't been able to all year. But I'm looking for that. But here comes the fastball. Instead, I'm going to swing at it, but I'm late. That's it. It's like every, every everybody everybody that I've talked to around that team says the exact same thing about Vladdy. It's the approach he has with whoever he's talking to. Then he goes to the on-deck circle, and it, for whatever reason, it's churning. Walks to the plate. It, I, it's but, all of a sudden just the opposite of, okay, I've got this plan. I'm thinking this thing. But what if Vladdy, and then I go okay, to the plate I, and I, I see something else that I think I can hit and I swing I, at it and I get myself I'm going to play devil's advocate here. What if Vladdy goes up to the plate thinking, that's just about the stupidest freaking plan I've ever heard. Well, you would think that would what most human beings would do because if nobody else can hit it, there's probably a good chance that you're not going to hit it because yeah. he's locating and it's tunneling and it's hard to yeah. pick up and telling the difference. And he throws really hard, which right there will tell you that I'm opening up my front side to cheat a little bit against 97. Like it's got some hair on it. Even if it's down the middle, you really got to think about, right. I got to get this going a little sooner. I got to make sure I get my front foot down. I got to think an imaginary plate out in front of the real plate. So I'm making contact there. So if when I do make contact, I'm not fouling it off because it's too deep on me because of how hard it's throwing. I, that right there is exactly why Vladdy's had a down year. The, the, John just said it to you. He, somebody, whoever's sitting over there says he throws this 60% of the time. Look for it. Okay? Obviously, he's looking for it because of the way he took the one that he got. But then when he sees a fastball, he's late on it because of where the location was. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't you Unless think you're so, looking for 97, Vladdy's, Vladdy's not Corey okay, Seager. Right, but here's the thing. Wouldn't you... Wouldn't you want to know why the guy throws a pitch that much? Like, maybe he's just stupid. The the pitcher I'm talking about, maybe he's stupid. That's why he throws a pitch 60% or of the time. Really good. Or maybe Nobody it's really it. good. Yeah. Like, that seems... Pretty freaking simple. Yeah. I shouldn't need or shouldn't have five people telling me that. Yeah, I'm not sure about the five. Again, this is 
I have no idea. I mean, there is a lot of people over there, and I'm sure they were game planning this stuff till they can't game plan anymore. I mean, you the more you, it's again, it's about the process, right? Yeah, yeah, of if course, you stick yes. with, if you stick with it, sooner or later, sooner you know, or later. It, could, it could be game 175 <laughs> when you're at home watching other teams play. Sooner or later, but you, uh, sooner, sooner or later, later gonna you happen. are going to be one of three people to make contact with that pitch. I just don't get it. Like, yeah. and then you watch the unbat. You could tell he's looking for it. That's yeah. the point. Sit on it until you get to two strikes. Uh, do we have time to play Hazel's? Uh, Absolutely. Good, we'll make great. time. Uh, today is Roberto Clemente Day at the ballpark. Uh, of course, Jose Barrios is a native of Puerto Rico, as Roberto Clemente was. Roberto Clemente, Felipe Alou used to say, the two greatest players he'd ever seen. He played with uh, or saw uh, or, were Henry Aaron and, and Roberto Clemente. Uh, Roberto Clemente passed away uh, in a plane crash running relief supplies to Nicaragua. Um, I believe after, I believe it was after an earthquake or a, <coughs> pardon me, a hurricane. Um, so major league baseball celebrates Roberto Clemente today. Uh, it has not yet retwi- re- retired the uniform number 21, which quite frankly it should, but it's a story for another day. Uh, so Jose Barrio sat down with Hazel, with Hazel May to discuss the importance and the significance of Roberto Clemente. Not just for Puerto Rican players, but for Puerto Rican citizens in general. Pleased to be joined now by Jose Barrios. Um, Roberto Clemente Day will highlight baseball legend and fellow Puerto Rican Roberto Clemente. When you found out that you happened to be scheduled to start on Roberto Clemente Day, what was your reaction? I mean, honestly, I started feeling like weird because I never had opportunity to pitch in that day. So I've been seeing players using 21 on Roberto, Roberto Clemente Day from 2020, but I never, you know, I just pitched, so I, I never pitched in, in that day. So tomorrow I'm going to have the opportunity, and I, I mean, honestly, I feel like weird, but at the same time I feel happy and, you know, proud about it. What is your earliest memory, Jose, of, you know, your father or your mother or someone telling you about Roberto Clemente? I mean, in Puerto Rico, uh, all the people, but mostly, you know, baseball players talk about Roberto Clemente. And I think he's, he, Roberto, he's my dad hero. So I've been growing up uh, hearing about, yeah, every day. So, yeah, we know we know a little bit more about Roberto Clemente. Uh, <laughs> Also, I think is uh, Roberto Clemente is a hero for Vladis dad. So I mean, I feel proud about it. Like you know, what Roberto did on the field, out of the field, make us the Puerto Rican and also Latin player so proud of him. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. What have you done in the past, Jose, or what do you plan on doing to continue that legacy Roberto Clemente left behind? I mean, first of all, be 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 me. I mean, be great human. That. That's what he he be like, great human out of the field. So, starting with that, I think we can we can continue we can keep continuing with that uh, uh, legacy what what he bring to us. So, obviously you have to do good on the field, but you know that's part of our, our work. And we we love what we do is play baseball, and that's no problem for me. Like I I can work every day to be ready every five day to do my work there. But the the most important thing is just be human. Great, you know, great, great person, and always try to be for, you know, for whoever is, you know, in your side. 
That is Jose Barrios talking to Hazel May about Roberto Clemente, um, the importance of Roberto Clemente Day, the importance of Roberto Clemente to the mm-hmm. game of baseball, and, um, of course, the importance of Roberto Clemente yep. to, uh, to Puerto Ricans. And it's kind of cool that Jose Barrios is. Um, is, uh, is pitching today. It's not easy to be a great human. It's not. I mean, you gotta you got to try to do that. And I, I think, you know, a lot of us try and do that, and it doesn't work out the best all the time. But to actually, you know, yeah. uh, anybody that's ever known Jose Barrios, that's the first thing they say is, man, that that's a, that's a really good dude who, you know, is trying to do the best he can possibly yeah. do. So that's, like, that's I, cool. I, I admit that one of the reasons I, uh, look, I I allow myself to cheer for guys that I, I really like and guys that I really admire. And it's one of the reasons that I had a real hard time dumping on Jose Barrios last year is I just, uh, everything I'd been told about him from – Dudes who covered him in Minnesota was that he was a, he was a great guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Caleb Joseph joins us next. We got tickets to give away as well. It's Blair and Barker. Welcome back to Blair and Barker. Half an hour away from first pitch. Not true. Huh? Not true. It's, it's going to be later. 37 minutes. 37. <laughs> okay, Mr. S- right, well, Mr. Smarty Tacky Cargo t- Pants. I'll take it. I'll I was take sitting it. on I was sitting on 30. You know, waiting for 30. I was, was sitting on 30. That's, anyhow, 37 minutes until the first pitch at the Rogers Center. As the Jays take on the Boston Red Sox in the biggest series, the biggest series really? of the year, first of three games, Jays in the very least need a split of this three-game series. Uh, okay, I won't say that anymore. I mentioned that joke like four or five times. Pitch at a time. Pitch at a time. That's one, all. You, that's all you do. One, I, it's like one, I know that sounds silly. One pitch at a time. You, you, one swing it, at a time. It's hard to do because, one, especially if you get out and. One You're sitting, trying so hard not to get slider out. At it's a time. hard. It's hard. It really is hard. Uh, we're giving you the chance to win Blue Jays tickets all season long here in Blair and Barker, whether you listen on the radio or on our podcast. All you have to do is text the correct answer to our daily baseball trivia question to 590-590. Our last trivia question and answer was this longtime pitcher played for nine major league teams beginning with the Blue Jays, but also compiled the 17-10 record with the Red Sox over two seasons one. in the 2000s. It was David Wells. It was David Wells who left his jock strap hanging in the, uh, in, the, in, in the locker, part of the story that I was thinking about. Anyhow, today's question uh, is to win tickets to see the Jays and Red Sox down at the Rogers Center yeah. on September 16th and 17th. We're giving away two days' worth of tickets. Oh. Okay, I guess we're giving away two days' worth of tickets. Wow, what's wrong with that? There's nothing wrong with that. <clears throat> show for the people. Absolutely. Peoples. There's two. <laughs> show for the peoples. <laughs> Good. One. Today's trivia question and answer. I'm not going to give the answer. Today's trivia question is David Price signed a mammoth deal with Boston after his short stint in 2015 with the Blue Jays. Who did Toronto trade to Detroit to bring Price north of the border for the team's postseason run? You can text the answer to 590-590 for your shot to win. See rules at sportsnet.ca slash 590. Again, 
David Price signed a mammoth deal with Boston after his short stint in 2015 with the Blue Jays. He should have gone to St. Louis if he'd listened to me. Who did Toronto trade to Detroit to bring Price north of the border for the team's postseason run, which, of course, ended with him basically being thrown in the bullpen because Gibby lost interest in having to put up with them. That's true. It is. Uh, text the answer to 595. I told you. Shot he, Gibby used to do things so, so he didn't have to answer the question. I know he did. <laughs> That's one of them. <laughs> That's it. I remember when the, the, day the, the, the day the, the trade was made and Alex Anthopoulos did his news conference and said, we think we can re-sign David Price. And I was sitting next to one of his assistants. I looked at him and the guy said to me, we're not re-signing David Price. I've always remembered that. Hey, do we have Caleb Joseph there? YYZ backstop. Right here. Hey, man, how are you? Are yeah. you? I thought you'd be on the golf course or something like that right now. Uh, I, I actually just left the golf course to pick up my boy, and now we're uh, sitting here in the in the parking lot of a football practice, flag football, eight year old flag football practice. So, That's awesome. Yes. Hey, before went we get the, uh, went to the, go ahead. Hold on, one thing. Corn Ferry Tour in Nashville, yeah. actually in Franklin, and watching some pros get after it. It was pretty fun. Pretty cool to watch them in their element. I'm so used to watching baseball players in their element. But to watch this uh, Corn Ferry event here, the Simmons Bank in Franklin, is really it's been really cool. Huh. Okay, but before we get the important stuff, speaking of high school football, whatever happened to Ari Dickey's kid, the tight end? Oh, yeah. Ari Dickey's kid plays uh, at CPA, which is a school that my brother-in-law uh, works for, and not 100% sure exactly what happened. He's a big, strong, good-looking kid, uh, athletic, you name it, he's got it. I watched him play last year, and he was very, very impressive. I am not up to date with okay. what's going on. I just in the always recent, in the recent. It's just somebody was recalling that story uh, the other day, and uh, I just thought, wondered maybe it would have gone someplace. Anyhow, uh, we'll move on and talk about the Blue Jays. Is that okay? <laughs> do we have to? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, we do. Um, oh, uh, you know, I mean, well, we just had John uh, John on doing his weekly hit and. I mean, I don't want to get into the whole thing, but basically John talked about Vladdy's at bat against Jose Leclerc last night, and, and Barker blew a gasket. Yeah, yeah. Here, here's the here's, this Well, is I'll let you do it. This okay. is basically what he said. John, John said that this dude throws a slider 60% of the time. The way Vladdy took yeah. the slider in that at bat obviously told you he was look, looking slider. But... When he right. got the fastball down the middle, he swung at it, and he was really late, wasn't even close to hitting mm. it. The question I will have to you is, the next 15 games, can he eliminate half of that? Basically, half of that is, if I'm sitting this, I'm sitting it till I get to two strikes. And you've also got to mention, though, that he was sitting on a pitch that Opponents have hit have under under a hundred <laughs> off of yeah. So it's like your approach yeah. going to the plate don't make any sense. But at least it's an approach. Right. Stick with it, right. and then once you get there, obviously he didn't stick with it, and then he was late on three fastballs, and it was like a non-competitive at bat. Yep, and I just actually got this from our comrade over at Sportsnet, Chris Black, that. Not only was it the first time in Vladdy's entire career that he whiffed on three in-zone fastballs in one A-B, it's the first time he's ever whiffed on those in-zone fastballs three different times in one entire game. So what we saw is historic for Vladdy. 
And we talk about approach over and over and over. Maybe what we don't talk about enough is once you have that approach, whatever it is, you've got to have the discipline to not go outside of it and swing at the really good-looking pitch that your brain wants to hit, even though you're looking something else. And it's just discipline, it's maturity, it's commitment, and it's staying within what you're looking for. I, I Again, I, I, I love the fact that he seemed to have something, to have an approach. And then the old adage, you got to stay with it. I had an ex-teammate that played for Mike Sosha. He said that was his number one phrase, stay with it, man. Stay with it, you know, and in the game of baseball, if you're going to have this type of approach, whatever it is, up, down, in, out, hard, soft, you name it, you've got to be disciplined to stay with it. And the reason you stay with it is because the reason you have that approach is because you believe that you have your best chance to put something in play hard off of that pitch because it might be a weakness versus a strength, et cetera, et cetera. But one that gets down to it, sometimes you got to reel back some of the information and the approach and wonder, was it the right approach? But I love the fact that he looked like he was trying to hit that slider, but you've got to stay disciplined. He can't swing at the fastballs until you get the two, and then you've got to battle. But you've heard me for weeks and weeks and weeks now, when he swings at the fastball, looks for the fastball, and hits the fastball, that seems to be when he really starts to roll. Yeah. Uh, Caleb, you know Bo and Vladdy really well. You were a teammate. You guys spent a lot of time together during that really odd, the, the COVID season. I know you, you, you mm-hmm. keep in real close contact, especially with Bo. Um, I mean, it's got to – look, they're getting paid well. Um, you know, they're young professional athletes. Life's pretty good, et cetera, et cetera. They're humans. But they're humans. And getting booed – getting booed has got to eat them up. Does it not? Absolutely. I remember playing on multiple teams in the big leagues where expectation from the fan base is super high and rightfully so. And the club just was not producing and there were groans and boos and they're voicing their displeasure. And you know what? As a player, you can take it one of two ways. You can appreciate the fact that your fan base is that caring, is that into it, is that emotionally invested in wins? Or you could take it, well, why are they doing that? That's not very nice. They need to be nicer to me. You know, the old adage, don't like it, play better, always seems to to cure everything in baseball, right? But it's not for a lack of effort. It's not for a lack of care. It's not for a lack of trying. Sometimes you just show up. And you just get it handed to you. And that's exactly what happened in that four-game set against Texas. All facets, all phases, they just had it handed to them. And I think it was, oh, man, a number of different managers that I've had. They've used the quote, it's not sometimes um, who you're playing, but when you're playing them. And that might have been the worst possible time to face the Rangers in the week that they had previously, getting absolutely worn out by the Texas Rangers, seeing their name team name go down in the standings. And sometimes you just, you run into a team that is about to catch fire because they've had enough and they, they have been biting the bullet for a long time and they just, they figure it out in a four game set. But yeah, when fans boo, it does, it it can get to you sometimes because you want to do so well and you're trying so hard and all you want to do is make those fans cheer because that's what 
is the gratification of playing professional sports is being in that arena, being in the Rogers Center where there's 45, 48,000 people screaming and yelling because you're the one uh, doing the tail whipping. So it's part of sports, but it, yeah, sometimes you've got to, you've got to look yourself in the mirror and say, you know what, they've got a reason to, they got a reason to, to be upset and it's our job and responsibility to make them cheer. Whenever you're a catcher and you can tell a pitching staff is not finishing some of their pitches. Mm. Now I say some of them, not all of them, right? They sometimes they'll get it out there and it'll go where they want it to go. How can a catcher help that? Mm. Rest. <laughs> I, 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 you're, you bring up a really good point. And what you have to do as a catcher is you've got to find ways to play the myth, knowing a guy might be tired. When you see that first, let's say it's Trevor Richards, and you see that first change up that floats or it misses arm side, you've got to really try your best to exaggerate the miss. Like you're going to put the glove lower, closer to the dirt. You're going to get lower as your body positioning can can handle you're going to give him that target to really set up the miss and I really believe what you're seeing right now you're seeing a tired pitching staff up and down and this is the consequence of what happens when you're constantly playing tight games for 148 or 46 or however many games they've played so far when you're constantly having to use guys over and over and over in every single outing they have is high pressure it's uh, it's not high high damage. It's just there's a lot riding on every single outing. All these starters feel like they've got to throw a complete game shutout because that's the only way the team's going to win because they're not scoring runs. Rarely have you seen this team score 10 runs through four innings and they can just kind of coast on through and really give the bullpen a day off mentally, physically, emotionally, et cetera, et cetera. But as a catcher, it gets really tough this point of the season because you know guys are running on fumes. I always felt like September, even though you're a month away, was one of the hardest months to play in because you can see the finish line, yet you know you've got to empty the tank, and sometimes you've emptied it back in July and August Mm. to get to where you are now in September. And so when guys are tired and you see the the finish, like you said, on the pitches just not there, it is tough as a catcher. You just try and you try and move a little bit further off on the plate. You try and exaggerate the miss because it's all going to come down to where they miss. It's not if they throw their pitch in the spot where they need to. You know that's going to be a good result. It's you're trying to stay away from the the tired misses, which for the most part it's high or it's arm side uncompetitive. So I always like to get lower, and when I needed it off the plate, I tried to move off the plate if you're trying to throw a front hip two seam from a right hander into a lefty I tried to get all the way in there so that he missed in versus down the middle but yeah when you see pitcher after pitcher missing in bad spots it to me it's a sign of it's of a staff that's just that's just tired uh be honest with me from what you've seen from Kirk behind the plate you think he's capable of doing what you just said I think the desire's there I think the desire to be a good catcher, to be a great teammate, to work with the pitchers, there's no doubt about it. He's a fun-loving guy, very low-key in terms of uh, emotional highs and lows. You love that as a, as a leader of a pitching staff. You can kind of be that steady rock. The, sometimes you've got to be animated back there. And the best catchers that I've played with or against, they're incredibly animated. You can tell when they get fired up when they feel the pivotal pitch or the pivotal 
um, at bat is happening in a game, you can feel their intensity and it kind of can fuel the pitcher into creating a better pitch shape or a better location. And more times than not, I just, and it's, it's his personality. It's a very um, smooth, suave personality. And sometimes I'd love to see in a kind of a critical situation, I'd love to see him slam his, his hand into his mitt and really give a nice, good target. And like something, some sort of fist pump, like, let's go right now. Like, this is it. Like you can just feel those nonverbal movements from behind the play if you watch baseball long enough you'll see them from certain catchers like when there's a big moment I think it's 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 in there he can do it I just don't see it as often as I wish at times you've seen Danny Jansen do that and I think that's just the maturation and confidence of knowing that you have their best interest at heart and they trust you and you're really trying to root them on and I just I felt like being a catcher your greatest attribute is being a therapist, a cheerleader, mm-hmm. all of those, et cetera, et cetera. And anytime I could try and pump a guy up and make him feel like you've got this, this is your pitch. I always went overboard instead of laying back and just putting a sign down and putting a target up and moving over there, catching it and just kind of slowly throwing it back. Yeah. The guy that I always, you know, the guy who's catching now that I kind of use as a template for that is a guy like Martin Maldonado. You watch him when he's behind the plate. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. it's like, he's 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 the boss you know it you mean justin verlander may be on the mound but you know martin maldonado's the guy you can just tell when that when that moment when that moment comes i'm gonna ask you the same question i asked barker a little earlier um you know, jose barrios and you say kikuchi have been two real good stories for this team this year two rebounds which is the bigger surprise to you of those two mm. For me, it's probably Kikuchi, just considering that if you look at his entire major league track record, there's a bit of question mark still in that. It's still kind of up and down and up and down, whereas Barrios was pretty steady, about as steady as you could get, and then there was just kind of this crater downward. For me, it was Kikuchi kind of becoming what I think the Toronto Blue Jays saw that he could be, which is a left-hander that is aggressive with the fastball, that can make speeds, that has good velocity, can punch some tickets, but ultimately gives you five, six, seven innings every single time he goes out because he throws 97 from the left side. And he was a wreck. This is a guy, like you said, that that was very disappointing season last year in that he was demoted to the bullpen. And I'll tell you, when I've had starters on my team that were demoted to the bullpen, very few times did they come back into a rotation and not only stay but be – a key contributor in that rotation. And he has done just that. And it's not to take anything away from Barrios. What Barrios has done has been fantastic. You know, you've got to give Pete Walker a ton of credit. I mean, he has this guy year after year after year, he has a project after project after project, and he just keeps getting it done. And it's not fair when some projects don't go well to just throw all the blame and want him out of town, this guy has revitalized a number of guys, different careers. And if he was an agent, he'd own a mm. Island off of the coast of, uh, <laughs> of California somewhere because he would be making so much money. He has earned so many guys multi-year contracts and prolong their major league contracts because he's able to pull rabbits out of a hat. So with both of those guys, Pete Walker and the pitching department, they've done an absolute fantastic job. And the pitching as a whole, they've been phenomenal for Blue Jays this year, which is why this season is so disappointing. You just don't get pitching performances up and down 
like this ever so often. And when you do, you've got to capitalize. And when you have pitching performances like this, like the Blue Jays have had, this is where you really believe you can make a deep run into October. Obviously, we know the offense hasn't been there, and that's why it's been an up-and-down season for him. Uh, Caleb, whenever you're facing a guy like Bellow tonight has a really good changeup, if, if, you're, if you're hitting and you know that, what's your approach? Good question. Uh, am I any good at hitting the changeup? If I'm not any good at it, then not many I'm, I'm going to try to avoid it. Yeah. <laughs> so, no. you know, I, I, you're, you're just trying to – there's many ways to eliminate that pitch. So eliminate it by looking in a different zone, whether it's in or out, or looking up or down. And everybody says, look, if you guys that throw the good changeups, the good hard late sliders, you want to see them up. And, yes – I agree with that. You're trying to see them up, but to take that a step further, what pitch do they throw that is going to be up that I can really hone in on so that I don't release on it? Hmm. Uh, the changeup that's a little bit in that in-between zone. And for me, most of the time it's a fastball. It's kind of a high 12-6 curveball. And so, okay, when I faced Marco Estrada, I, I did not want to hit that changeup. So I tried to ambush the first fastball I had and he was really good at throwing that down and away fastball. Mm-hmm. I just tried to look up and in because I knew at some point he was going to try and speed me up with the high fastball and then drop the changeup below. So I tried not to get to that changeup. Here's the problem if you look changeup, knowing that he's going to throw it. If you're not really specific in your approach, which is see the hanging changeup. If you sit changeup, your brain will recognize that the changeup is coming and it will want to release on a changeup that is scraping the dirt, a ball changeup, because your brain has guessed correctly. Mm-hmm. You've got to refine it. If you're going to sit changeup, you've got to sit the changeup that is up in the zone. Sit the hanger. And I learned that from Alan Zinter. He played a long time in the Meyer mm-hmm. Leagues, was a hitting coach in the big leagues for a couple of years. But he taught me that in the Arizona Fall League. Don't sit the pitch. Sit the hanging changeup. Hanging changeup. So it's about sitting, raising your eye level up, and usually moving it left or right will give you even more of a good way to identify that pitch and see it in a certain box. So I don't know if that makes any sense or not. But. Yeah, real quick, what I was taught was scoot closer to the pitcher, take away one side oh, of the yeah, plate. I yeah. give him the inside of the part of the plate, I look away. You know, it's it's not, nobody's going to consistently hit that, and I can just see Vladdy standing way off the plate and – chasing the change up because it looks like a fastball. That's all right. Did you give yourself well, a chance to put it in play? Barker, look, that is that is so good, but I've given up on that for the Blue Jays, like moving around in the box. Yeah. That's why I don't even say it because yeah, me I've too. given up on that. But when I first got into the big leagues and I'm facing, you know, Mark Teixeira, Alex Rodriguez, Dustin Pedroia, David Ortiz, these guys were moving all over in the box. Ortiz would scoot up like literally as the pitcher was doing his motion because he would know that if he moved up before the pitch, I'd recognize that. And I knew if he was moving up, he was probably sitting soft to try and create less break, all this stuff. These guys are moving as the pitcher begins his windup, and then you're boxed in, you're stuck. You talk about a bad feeling as a catcher when you call, you think you've got changeup set up perfectly, and right when the pitcher starts his motion, he takes a step forward, and you're going, uh-oh, we're time out, throw the flag, time out, you know, <laughs> pitch clock violation, something, anything. Uh, but yeah, I've totally given up on them actually moving in and out yeah. or up back and forth to eliminate pitches. But if you wanted to do that, you could box a pitcher in right away. It's the easiest, most simple thing oh, to do. Absolutely. I just don't believe they're going to do it. Well said.
Caleb, really good of you to do this, yeah, man. Buddy. Thank thank your uh thank your son for us for his patience. Pretty cool. Oh yeah. Well, he's already dropped three passes, so we're gonna be throwing passes the rest of the night, all right? So we'll see. You got butterfingers, man. He got butterfingers. <laughs> Take care. Uh, Take awesome. care, Caleb. Have a great weekend, bud. Thanks. Caleb Joseph, Blue Jay Central analyst. Um the son playing football. Yeah, yeah, it makes too much sense. That's the first thing I thought of. Bellow's got a really good change up. Scoot closer to him. Eliminate the thing. Like before you even walk to the plate, but I'm with Caleb. Like it's just it makes way too much sense. Basically, what that does too is shrink their target. They got a smaller window to throw that thing to. Well, you're it gives you a better chance of barreling that thing. And if you can catch a change up out front, your good friend Moise Alou used to move in the box. I, the, all the good ones do it. Like you, you want to, you want to make it harder for them to throw it where they want to throw it. And if you can catch it before it actually starts doing things, because what it's going to do right before it gets to where you want to start your swing, if you're standing way back in the batter's box, it's going to move and then you're going to miss it by a lot. Catch it before it does that. It's a BP heater. Anybody can hit a BP heater, but does that make way too much sense? I mean, you got khakis walking by, and they're throwing number at you till you can't breathe instead of just somebody raising their hand and going, "Hey, scoot closer to him." Sometimes well, I think. Sometimes I think you just have to tell people to go pound sand. Uh, you know, it's not the easiest thing touching. to do a lot of the time. I know. So. I know it isn't. Uh, that was a great. Uh, that was a great session today. I feel like I learned a lot uh, about hitting and not hitting and uh, sitting on the slider. Uh, <laughs> That's it for Blair and Barker today. We will, of course, be back Monday from 5 to 7 Eastern on Sportsnet 590, the fan of Sportsnet. Tune in following tonight's Blue Jays game for Blue Jays talk with the pair of us. Enjoy the baseball. Have a great weekend.